Thanks for listening to Star Lores. If you like the show, please consider subscribing and giving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also help us make more great content by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com. We would also love to hear from you on social media. You can follow Star Lores on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy the show, and may the Force be with you. You are listening to the Star Lores Podcast. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Why you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Twilight of the Republic Whether a being is an imperial citizen celebrating Empire Day, or a Republic citizen celebrating Remembrance Day, the 23rd of the fifth month of the Great Resynchronization Calendar is a time for reflection. It is an opportunity to celebrate peace and mourn the fallen. With that in mind, we will be taking a look at the controversial organization that created this now obscure holiday. The First Galactic Empire was a short-lived but powerful regime that dominated the galaxy between 19 BBY and 4 ABY. Although it persisted after the Battle of Endor, it is known by many names, but the Empire is the most common. The Galactic Empire may have been the first central power to govern so much undisputed territory at one time. About three quarters of the galaxy, it was the largest galactic state since 30,000 BBY. This empire arose from the ashes of the millennia-spanning Galactic Republic. It existed in various incarnations for a total of 157 years, with different leaders rising up after the death of the founding emperor. The empire's first 23 years, Emperor Palpatine's reign, were its most stable and powerful.
Imperial Dawn. In order to ensure the security and continuing stability, the Republic will be reorganized into the first galactic empire for a safe and secure society. One of the first pieces of legislation Emperor Palpatine passed was the creation of Empire Day. The first Empire Day almost ended in tragedy. Palpatine was working late in his office, despite recovering from his disfiguring wounds after an earlier assassination attempt by a treasonous Jedi Master. A second Jedi traitor, politically opposed to Palpatine's empire, and spiritually opposed to his alter ego Darth Sidious's order of the Sith Lords, attempted to assassinate the Emperor. The impish green creature infiltrated the Senate building in the recently renamed Imperial City. The wizened assailant easily incapacitated the Emperor's Red Guards using his Jedi powers and then tried to kill Palpatine with his lightsaber. Palpatine managed to fight this second would-be assassin off using a combination of lightsaber dueling, force lightning, and telekinesis. The assassin escaped when he saw that he was outmatched but he would go on to play a pivotal role in the fracturing and ultimate dissolution of the Galactic Empire decades later. Empire Day was celebrated by fireworks displays, community gatherings, military parades, propagandistic speeches, and sometimes gifts of vital goods and services from the Empire to its citizens. Most notable were the baked goods sold by military personnel on Naboo during a propaganda mission Darth Vader carried out there. The day was also an occasion to unveil marvelous works of art in honor of the first galactic emperor. Insurrectionists used the day to found their own rival holiday, Remembrance Day. After founding the Empire, Palpatine began to purge dissenters and holdovers from the Republican era, arresting and executing politicians and military personnel who harbored anti-imperial sentiment, as well as seizing assets of would-be enemies. After Master Mace Windu of the Jedi Order attempted to arrest, or assassinate depending on your point of view, Emperor Palpatine, he executed Order 66 to the Grand Army of the Republic's clone troopers. This was one of 150 other emergency contingency orders that clone troopers were all prepared to execute without question, and was written initially by Jedi Master Sifo Diaz as a failsafe against rogue Jedi. There was historic precedence for this, as previous galactic wars ended in splinter groups of Dark Jedi who had disastrous impacts on the galaxy. As a matter of fact, however the writing of the Order was simply one more stunning example of Darth Sidious's manipulation of the Republic and Jedi. Once Palpatine issued the Order, clone troopers all over the galaxy swiftly executed their Jedi commanders. The vast majority of the Jedi Order was deployed at the time, and an estimated 10,000 Jedi Knights were killed. This marked the first of many genocides perpetrated in Palpatine's name. While the Empire was founded and built by the re-emergent Sith, it also was a distinct political governmental entity that was not necessarily tied to the ideology of the Sith. In fact, its public persona was secular and had nothing to do with the Sith, or any other spiritual traditions. This made it distinct from the previous Sith empires throughout history, who were quite open with respect to their megrocracies and associated belief systems. Founded by Sidious's alter ego, the Supreme Chancellor of the Republic, Sheev Palpatine, he consolidated his power after the tumultuous period of the Clone Wars. 
He held the official title of Galactic Emperor and acted as the head of state. He had ex- executive powers that extended to all corners of the empire and all of his administrative branches. The empire retained the general structure of the Galactic Senate in the form of the Imperial Senate as a primary legislative body. This change was mostly in name, as Republican senators from before the Empire's formation retained their position so long as they were loyal to their new emperor. The Empire was a highly militarized, autocratic state hyper-focused on security. It ruled largely through pro-state propaganda, fear, and central control. Individual liberties were sacrificed, and non-compliance with imperial diktats were penalized severely. Any criticism of the government was not tolerated. Early on, Emperor Palpatine renamed and reorganized the former republic, creating a central intelligence agency and restructuring the military. While Supreme Chancellor, Palpatine hardly made use of his megalithic presidential palace, preferring a luxury apartment at 500 Republica. Once Emperor, however, he began massive renovations and additions to the Chancellor's residence and renamed it the Imperial Palace. Once finished, it was the tallest building on Coruscant. The Emperor spent most of his reign inside his personal sanctum, the throne room. Two years after the Battle of Endor, the New Republic conquered Coruscant and the dethroned Emperor's palace. It was destroyed when Coruscant was invaded by the Yuuzhan Vong. In 27 ABY, New Republic Chief of State Borsk Feilia detonated a bomb in the building, killing tens of thousands of Vong as a megalithic structure collapsed. Organization Emperor Palpatine ruled the Empire absolutely as its head of state. It maintained a four-branch system of government led by the Emperor, the Grand Vizier, and Supreme Commander, most notably the position held by Darth Vader, and the Military Executor, a position that only lasted for a year. The Executive Branch was made up of the Imperial Ruling Council, which was dissolved in 4 ABY. That gave way to the Central Committee of Moths. The Interim Ruling Council and Diet of Imperial Planetary Governors were in control in 11 ABY in the Emperor's absence. The Imperial Senate formed the legislative branch and was maintained to pacify stakeholders in the Empire by representing them in government. When Palpatine believed that he had finally established unflinching obedience from his populace in 0 ABY, he dissolved the Senate. The Diet of Imperial Planetary Governors ruled in the absence of the executive or heads of government. The Empire's judicial branch consisted of the Supreme Court, regional courts, and procurator of justice. Finally, the military branch consisted of the Imperial military, which included planetary forces as well as a massive space navy. The Moth system granted great authority to sector-wide rulers, known as Moths, who were able to practice independent control over their respective regions. Grand Moths had authority over regions known as Oversectors, which were collections of neighboring sectors of the galaxy. Imperial Communique number 00104.92V 
or the Tarkin Doctrine. The more you tighten your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. In 29 BBY, Commander Tarkin was serving in the Republic Outland Region's security force. He worked in a jurisdiction that included the Outer Rim territories, which had a lack of central government and law enforcement. This decentralization resulted in a climate of general chaos and lawlessness, which the commander's organization had little ability to bring order to. Tarkin's work also brought him into contact with the Galactic Senate, in which he perceived a similar level of disorganization as the Outer Rim. When the engineer Wraith Sinar presented Commander Tarkin with designs for an expeditionary battle planetoid, the commander saw a possible solution for the anarchy of the Outer Rim. The initial design was used as a framework from which the Death Star was built, nearly 30 years later. In the titular electronic communication to Emperor Palpatine, Tarkin, now a Grand Moff, codified the political philosophy which became the Empire's doctrinal strategy for maintaining absolute control of its territory. Although the communique included many proposals with ramifications for the administration and strategy employed by the Empire's armed forces, two are of singular impact. The first was the suggestion that all existing hollow net transceivers should be disassembled and retrofitted into the Imperial Navy. This would not only vastly improve the Navy's ability to communicate and launch tactical initiatives, but would severely limit any potential rebels' ability to do the same. While placing the fastest and most ubiquitous media technology in state control. Quote, Rule through fear of force, rather than force itself. Unquote was a suggestion that had the most widespread ramifications, culminating in the Death Star with its planet-destroying superlaser, the Tarkin, a battleship armed with a similar weapon, and the second Death Star, which would have been even larger than the first, had it been completed. Darth Vader was the perfect, somewhat human symbol for ruling through fear. Accordingly, he was the supreme commander of the military. He commanded trillions of soldiers and other personnel. And the branches of the Army, Navy, and Stormtrooper Corps, among many others, all answered ultimately to him. The military also carried out propaganda missions and provided mostly human males with opportunities through service. Ultimately, the central premise of the Tarkin Doctrine proved to be false. Holonet transceivers became readily available on the black market. Fear of force did not prove enough to suppress rebellion. In fact, it only made the rebels fight harder and in greater numbers. Unflinching commitment to the Doctrine was the Empire's downfall.
The Commission for the Preservation of the New Order. By bringing the entire galaxy under one law, one language, and the enlightened guidance of one individual, the corruption that plagued the Republic in its later years will never take root. The Empire sought unity. Imperial, basic as the universal language. A ubiquitous legal code. One aim for education and social progress and dedication to one ruler, the emperor. It attempted to control all aspects of political and social life. Ideologically, security was paramount. Threats or perceived threats to social order and stability were met with extreme violence. Peaceful protests and demonstrations were met with brutality. For example, Grand Moff Tarkin landed his ship on a crowd of peaceful protesters who chose his landing pad as a location to practice non-violent civil disobedience, crushing and killing the lot of them. Whole planets were devastated and the Empire built a host of superweapons to maintain its iron grip on the galaxy, to say nothing of the numerous incompleted superweapon projects. Compnor, as it was known, was the organization that sought to establish a pro-state social paradigm through propaganda and espionage. The organization oversaw various elements of cultural enterprise and made sure that they fell in line with the Empire's political messaging. They had monitors and offices distributed all throughout the galaxy and collected and sorted vast amounts of data. It was the largest institution used to censor, control, and disseminate information and imperial propaganda. The commission had a Byzantine organizational structure with dozens of sub-commissions, coalitions, and groups. In essence, Compnor's multifaceted operations were all aimed at the engineering of a new kind of dominant culture in the galaxy, a high imperial culture. Compnor worked in tandem with the Imperial Security Bureau to thwart rebellious activity though it was not officially an intelligence agency. Within Compnor's organization, the art group made sure that public displays of art did not incite anti-imperial sentiment and used a system of public shaming to degrade art that challenged imperial narratives. In many cases, this had the opposite effect. Drawing onlookers to the red holographic displays in front of the offending art pieces, only to ignore the propaganda contained therein and appreciate the outlaw art. This was known by artists colloquially as drawing a scarlet and was typically viewed positively, something equivalent to a favorable review. The science group made sure that only scientific research that was politically acceptable was funded, conducted, and published. Priority was given to research with military applications. The Security Bureau heavily monitored the science group to ensure compliance. The Commerce Division oversaw the economic stability of largely neglected frontier worlds in partnership with the corporate sector authority. Aid was rendered in many cases, improving many impoverished worlds immediately following the devastation of the Clone Wars. 
the Empire-enacted Corporate Sector System Development Programs, DPROGs, which industrialized worlds made them self-sufficient and brought them to economic liquidity. The Empire also used this as a system of exploitation, harvesting worlds with valuable resources, often to the detriment of the native populace. Mass displacement, enslavement, genocide, and ecocide were all common outcomes of imperial economic development. Entire planetary landscapes, for example, were sometimes bulldozed in order to construct vast supply depots and transportation hubs. Corporations were often granted exclusive rights to planetary resources and development, which created a captive labor market. Eventually, the Commerce Division would focus less on resource redistribution and aid and focus more on corporate espionage. This more militant department came about as a reaction to the escalation in violence during the Galactic Civil War, starting in 0 ABY. Any powerful and independent corporate entity that sought to give resources to or, ask or assist the rebellion were considered fair game for sabotage. The Education Department was responsible for homogenizing and broadcasting pro-imperial messaging through the basic education system of the galaxy, although the department officers were themselves not educators. New doctrinal education programs emphasized the values of the new order, peace through security, the decadence of the republic, and loyalty to the regime. Within Compnor's internal hierarchy, this department was the lowest rung on the ladder. Only the most incompetent officers worked here, a practice known as being sent to the idea dusters. The Justice Group had the monumental task of creating a unified legal code across the Empire. The legacy of the judicial arm of Compnor is mixed. The unified legal code brought revolutionary change to the more lawless and violent sectors and planets. Paradoxically, the Empire officially banned slavery through official edicts, but removed numerous sentient species from those protected from bondage, thus justifying the slavery of non-human or non-humanoids by, remo by removing their legal protection. The Justice Group was also exceedingly harsh in its penalties of crime or opposition to the state and included hard labor camps, slavery, execution, and genocide as potential punishments for the slightest transgressions. Emperor Palpatine justified the Empire's slavery practices by saying it was legal and punitive. In this view, it was very distinct from the Chattel slavery experienced by, say, Shmi Skywalker on far-flung worlds like Tatooine. The Empire elevated humanocentrism, a viewpoint which had been simmering in the background of galactic politics for ages. It celebrated the idea of high human culture also known as imperial high culture, and it implemented both social exclusion and codified speciesism against non-human entities. In a nutshell, humanocentrism claims that humans are somehow special among all the sentient beings in the galaxy, and that their rights, needs, and freedoms 
are prioritized to the exclusion of other beings. Other alien species were designated as non-humans, a classification often stylized as NHM, as shorthand descriptor. This ideology also bled into a form of anti-droid and anti-cyborg sentiments that pervaded imperial society. Although the Empire made full use of droid labor and combat forces, and also had several high-ranking cyborgs. Imperial high culture was implemented through social exclusion and codified speciesism against non-human beings. The further from the humanoid form a species was, the more likely it was to be classified as subsentient. In the Empire's legal code, subsentience meant a being had no rights, but could be protected in the same way as property. Species labeled as threats could lose their sentient status. Subsentient status meant that the Empire could commit a legal form of genocide on certain species, if they were an obstacle to the Empire's objectives. The status of non-human was also used to corral Xenos into non-human ghettos or restrict certain housing complexes to humans only amidst other forms of institutional discrimination. The imperial military was explicitly misogynistic, barring females from advancing beyond a certain rank within its hierarchy. Some high-profile imperial officers expressed open anti-female sentiments. An organization called the Firebird Society combated the empire's systematic misogyny from within. The group was all-female and had its roots in the Republic era. Members were fanatically loyal Imperials, and could be as dangerous to Imperials that displayed incompetence or more selfish inclinations, as they were to rebels and other enemies of state. Perhaps the greatest exception to Imperial chauvinism is found in Natasi Dalla, a human woman who achieved the rank of Admiral and later became Chief of a State derived from the Empire. Her advancement was only possible due to the direct intervention of Grand Moff Tarkin. However, there were also xenophobic policies in addition to misogynistic policies. Many aliens, particularly those more human appearances, found themselves elevated within imperial ranks. The Chiss Grand Admiral, Thrawn, is an example of this. His species only deviates from humans in the color of their skin and eyes being blue and red, respectively. Mas Amida was a Chagrian, a species with prominent horns and tusks, prominent cranial protuberances, and blue skin. Very NHM. Before the Empire, he was Palpatine's Vice-Chancellor, and was temporarily the Vice-Chair of the Imperial Senate. The more visibly alien species in Imperial society were used in certain military and strategic applications, though they were held to high loyalty standards. Architecturally, the Empire stressed austere and minimalist design with strong, brutalist aesthetics. This was a physical manifestation of its never-ending quest for unity and security, finding these things in simplicity and a Spartan style overall. Religion 
I didn't even think Jedi were real until last week. Is it true they steal babies? Yeah, and cut women in half with their laser swords. Two Jabimi soldiers. The Empire had no state religion, officially. Behind closed doors, it was, of course, a crypto-megocracy, and its entire existence was rooted in Sith religion, insofar as their philosophy can be labeled as religious. Adherents practiced their faith via the accumulation of power and the manipulation of the darker emotions. The entire existence of the Empire, every imperial law enforced, every star system conquered, was in essence an act of worship, though the worshippers were unaware. The infamous Imperial Crest, a circle with eight spokes extending around its circumference, was a modified version of the Galactic Roundel, which was the Republic symbol, in turn taken from the Bendu religion. The Bendu symbol was meant to represent the unification of the galaxy through the Force. The peace-loving Daya Bendu monks must have been horrified when they saw the Empire appropriating the symbol of peace and unity as it carried out its unspeakable acts of violence and oppression. And yet, in a sense, Darth Sidious did exactly what the symbol represented. He unified the galaxy through the Force. It is a tragic irony that the Empire adopted the symbol of the Order of Daibendu, from which the Jedi Order sprang. All other religions were acceptable under Imperial law, so long as their tenets were not viewed as seditious or in opposition to the Emperor's will. Some experts have estimated that there were millions of freely practiced religions under the Empire. Many believe that the Jedi were responsible for the secession crisis, which led to the Clone Wars. This is not only because the Jedi invaded Confederate worlds as conquerors, but also due to a number of powerful and well-known Jedi defecting to the Confederacy later on. This is to say nothing of the Confederacy's Supreme Commander, Count Dooku, who was a famous fallen Jedi. Additionally, the prevailing lay understanding of Force users often conflated Jedi and Sith, seeing little if any difference between these diametrically opposed groups. As he did with humanocentric sentiments, Palpatine dispatched an army of propagandists to foment anti-Jedi bigotry. In particular, Jedi history was edited to represent a galactic republic that was secretly under their control and drove the republic to ruin. The revised history suggested that the Jedi started their insidious control of the republic when they began training non-human apprentices. The propaganda further claimed that they attempted a coup on the Republic at the end of the Clone Wars, thus justifying their own persecution. During the Empire's reign, anti-Jediism reached a fever pitch. Jedi graves were desecrated and entire groups of beings with Force sensitivity, or even believed sensitivity, were persecuted in the court of public opinion. This could result in lynch mobs or prosecution by the Imperial justice system. The culmination of this resentment would ironically be turned on the Emperor himself. A second coup was attempted by Headmaster Gentis and a number of other Imperials who shared his anti-Jedi views, believing that Force-sensitive beings could not be trusted to rule the galaxy. The Emperor was poisoned and Vader attacked, but they ultimately survived and crushed this rebellion. Popular Opinion at first, the transition from republic to empire was welcomed by the masses, who voted for security at the cost of liberty. This transition was bolstered by the empire's propaganda machine, which controlled the media. 
Many of the worlds devastated by the Clone Wars welcome the new regime's peace. Planets and groups less inclined to autocracy or looking for their own brand of independence were largely cowed by the Tarkin Doctrine's implementation. In the case of the criminal underworld, the relationship with the imperial authorities was more complex. Officially, the Empire represented an ironclad retributive legal system, but it also utilized criminal enterprises to its own benefit. Many officials could be bribed, mirroring the duplicity of its emperor. Hut space, for example, was technically within the borders of the Empire, but the black market economy there was allowed to continue. Lower-level individuals caught breaking the law outside of hut space faced severe punishments. Financially powerful crime syndicates could often come to mutual understandings with law enforcement. Throughout its reign, the Empire's ever-tightening grip on the galaxy was represented by increasingly brutal methods of maintaining power and control. Eventually, some of its citizens decided that death was preferable to the yoke of imperial oppression. Jedi in hiding, former Republicans, and anti-imperialists of all stripes would work together to fight back against tyranny. The sun sets on the Galactic Empire. Following the Emperor's death at the Battle of Endor, the Empire fractured into sectoral fiefdoms ruled by warlords. The Galactic Civil War did not end with Palpatine's death, nor with the formation of the New Republic. For the next 15 years, the New Republic was the ascendant galactic power, but the Empire made several campaigns attempting to recapture lost glory, and the killing continued. The first resumption of large-scale warfare happened shortly after the Battle of Endor, when the armed forces of a species called the Nagai invaded the larger galaxy from the unknown regions, allying themselves with the crippled empire. This campaign was ultimately unsuccessful. In 9 ABY, Grand Admiral Thrawn launched a campaign into former imperial territory, conquering sectors from the outer rim to the core though much of this territory was soon liberated. In the next two years, Emperor Palpatine resurfaced, having transferred his force essence to a clone. He used superweapons to conquer much of the same territory that Thrawn lost to the Republic. After the clone Emperor's death and the destruction of his remaining clones, a former royal guard called Coroner Jax inherited the remains of the Empire. Jax's Crimson Empire quickly devolved into a quagmire of assassinations and infighting. This left the Empire in a similar, though further diminished in power, state as it had been following the Battle of Endor. Admiral Gilad Pelion would revive what remained of the totalitarian regime in 12 ABY which formed a new state called the Imperial Remnant.
Welcome aboard the Millennial Falcon. I'm Sam, and uh, today we've got an extra crew member that we picked up in the Outer Room Territories. He's a scruffy little nerf herder. I forget his name. Maybe you want to introduce yourself. Hello, I am Frankie. Hello, Frankie. <laughs> and the rest of us are... Christian. Hey, this is Jordan. Back with you. And... Yeah, I'm Sam, also known as uh, the smooth one. So we've got a big but one. But not because of the way you talk, because no, no, of the no. way you shave. Yes, because <laughs> of uh, my Gillette um, triple Mach 5 hyperspeed. This is not a razors. sponsored uh, podcast. <laughs> okay, so we're going to be talking about a big one, the Galactic Empire from a certain point of view that is dun, 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 <laughs> excellent everything is proceeding exactly <laughs> as i have foreseen it <laughs> um so one of the big things we wanted to talk about is i think did we get some feedback about um our blasé attitude towards tyrannical regimes <laughs> uh, i haven't seen anything online no okay <laughs> Jordan. People are pretty cool with it. <laughs> okay, people are in favor of it. <laughs> Happy Empire Day to everyone. Happy week. Empire Day. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Also, <laughs> May 23rd. Happy Empire Day, everybody. Mm -hmm. I hope you're uh, erecting a, a giant bronze statue of your favorite uh, dictator <laughs> in the town square. <laughs> I, I feel like the whole world is on lockdown, so it's kind of apropos. That. <laughs> also, they're arresting stormtroopers in the streets, which is not, yes. very, uh, <laughs> yeah. not very imperial friendly, I just want to say. That's right. we got to bring the empire <laughs> to us. <laughs> we are a far-flung outer rim world, you know. Yes. Um, no, but I haven't really heard uh, much other than from complaints from Frankie. <laughs> so Frankie's that, that Sorry I stopped listening for a second I don't know where, where we are comes. Oh the blase attitude towards tyrannical regimes Like the oh. empire Yeah yeah I mean Yeah I'm all for it <laughs> Oh you are now He's oh, changed yeah. his stance oh, yeah. okay. no. He's been convinced it Has nothing to do with the stormtroopers in the room with us Aiming their blasters <laughs> Yeah No So should Just in case anybody should confuse um, the, the content that we talk about on this show It's um it is science fiction, and so though we're sort of fans of the Empire, we're fans of the science fiction that is the Empire. <laughs> to be clear, we we don't like Nazis. <laughs> don't want this to be clipped in any or misconstrued in any way. And uh, that being said, I think stories about the Empire in Star Wars tend to be some of the the stronger stories. It obviously goes back to the roots of star wars what's the first frame of any star wars movie is a big old imperial star, star destroyer. destroyer and then a bunch of imperial stormtroopers and darth vader it's sort of without such good well realized highly designed and fleshed out bad guys star wars would not be as strong a story as it is so that's sort of my take on our tyrannical attitude or our blasé attitude <laughs> towards tyrannical regimes. Our attitude may be tyrannical, but <laughs> that's a subject for another show. Um, so the Empire didn't end with the death of Palpatine, in case you're sort of a newbie Star Wars Legends fan. Uh, the fighting, in some senses, was only just beginning, because 
some of the later conflicts in the Legends canon, like, really make the Galactic Civil War look like... A small guerrilla uh, skirmish. Yeah, a small guerrilla <laughs> skirmish. <laughs> I don't want to spoil too much, obviously, because we'll get there next season, hopefully. But lots, lots of other things happened. Lots of killing to be done. Oh, yes. Most importantly, though, is... And I'll just sort of try to contextualize the astrogeography of how they carved up, the Empire carved up the galaxy into over sectors and then over sectors were kind of like countries, if you will. And then they were divided up into sectors and each sector was like a state within the country. And so a ma, a grand moth had control of the over sector and all of the sectors. He's like a head of state. As the head of state. Yeah. And then each moth had his own sector and he was like the local governor. And then each Grand Moth was also in charge, obviously, of all their fleet. I can't remember if Grand Moths had their own fleet or not, but each sectoral moth also had a fleet of like a few hundred or thousand star destroyers and all the associated TIE fighters and stormtroopers and all that kind of stuff. And so obviously that's a lot of material and it was not all at Endor when the second Death Star was destroyed. A big chunk of it was, and a lot of its most important officers and the Admiralty were killed at the Battle of Endor. But then what happened was now you've just got all these governors who have all this power and all and this... And no oversight. And all this firepower and nobody telling them what to do. And then a bunch of them think that they should be the person who's in charge. So then all the Grand Moths essentially just start fighting each other. And then Moths break off from their Grand Moths and make all kinds of weird alliances with different factions. So the, if, if anything, the end of the Galactic Civil War kind of makes peace in the galaxy worse. <laughs> <laughs> it creates a power vacuum, yeah. as we see so often in real life. Because yeah. before you just had this one single enemy that you're fighting... Now, not only are you fighting everything that was in that enemy, but that enemy itself is fighting Splintered, itself. Yes. So it's just a it's just a mess. It almost becomes like a more Warhammer 40k type of universe after uh, the Battle of Endor because of that. Yeah. Which is interesting. And, and the Empire will subsist for over 100 years, too. So yeah. it lasts a while in different incarnations. Yeah. Sometimes it, it starts to settle itself into like, more of a cohesive um, institution, and then it's a little splinter and fraction, fracture yeah. again, and then come back and congeal, and like it, it'll go through its own evolution cycle. And like you said, we'll we'll delve into the details of it hopefully in in the future season here. And a, a fun little factoid that I I found just like before I left to come record the show today was that uh, Mass Amida, the the former vice chancellor, and then. And then he was a chair on the Imperial Senate. And then um, Palpatine transferred him for some for some strange reason to essentially be an archaeologist. And he went around the galaxy tracking down Sith artifacts. And then after that, I think em Emperor Palpatine's clone sent him to some uh, bastion holdout world of the Empire where he w went about creating Emperor Palpatine's grand plan for the next 10,000 years is the job that Mass Amida had. And if you don't know, he's the guy who's always standing beside uh, Senator Palpatine in the prequel trilogies. Blue Not guy. Like blue guy right? He's a big blue guy. He has like 
horns going down yeah, his yeah, shoulders yeah. and then off of his head. Yeah. Yeah. So he's it's interesting that he's a character who plays a somewhat important role, not only through the off camera, obviously, but through the original trilogy, and then also continues to play a very, very important role potentially after that because he's creating a 10,000 year plan. Which is, <laughs> is there any comic book arcs that follow that story? I, that would be a sick I don't comic know, book arc. I, I don't know. I didn't have time to look it up on Wikipedia, but I'm uh, very interested to try that, to track that those would be comics so down. Sweet. Yeah. Um, one kind of switching gears here. One thing that often, or a slogan that's become popular <laughs> online, yes, yes, yes. is uh, good, good. The good. Empire did Very nothing good. wrong, <laughs> uh, which includes many uh, imperialists and stormtroopers, I'm sure, and imperial remnants. And uh, while the Empire most certainly was evil, um, I do think there's an interesting gray area that we can explore on that topic. Uh, first, we can discuss a fun way of looking at a pro-imperial uh, aspect in the universe by uh, characterizing the rebels as terrorists and the empires as the legitimate government. Um, and there's a lot of content that you can derive from a propagandistic perspective of like, okay, if you're in-universe, you're an imperial citizen, what does a war look like to you from the empire's point of view, right? As Star Wars says, from a certain point of view. Um, and like I said, like you, you have a band of, of rebel terrorists who are destroying Imperial infrastructure, killing Imperial loyal, strong Imperial troops that are just but doing also their jobs. Pro- but also probably, um, uh, like a lot of collateral damage citizens getting killed and stuff. Yeah, which I, I mean, across multiple movie franchises never gets discussed. Right, right, Everything yeah. from like Marvel superheroes, right. you know, where you have entire buildings and cities <laughs> being pulverized. Yeah, yeah. No <laughs> doubt with hundreds, if not millions of people. No, in all them. the citizens got out safe. Yeah, Every yeah. Time. <laughs> Like I, I question that. So yes, right. while, while any war effort is conducted and we'll, we'll delve into the details of the rebel alliance too, because the rebels aren't all clean either. Yeah. Um. And yes, like their tactics, and some of their more fringe elements would not care about civilian casualties. So to In you, fact, um, just adding to that point, very shortly after the Battle of Endor, um, Han Solo what essentially he essentially committed mutiny on the entire Republic fleet, and sort of used his cachet and celebrity as the famous General Han Solo to threaten to destroy an entire planet because they weren't uh, doing what he wanted, basically. And the entire Republic fleet was like, yep, we will vaporize the surface of this civilian world if you don't do what Han Solo wants you to do. And to be fair, they were were being a little bit jerks because Lando was in trouble and he needed to go inside their holy site, and that was sacrilegious. But still, Han would have destroyed an entire world out of vengeance essentially because lando would have already been dead right by that time yeah so it's not just the empire that uses extreme tactics which i'll I'll get into in a second um the other thing too is just like public perception how many people who are brought up in this era of imperial propaganda um don't know any better and are you know they are wrapped up in this or brainwashed to believe all the propaganda that they're fed. So to them, they only believe what they're told. Uh, yes, the Jedi tried to stage a coup 
that overthrew tried to overthrow the legitimate government and they repelled them as a, as a legitimate threat hmm. um or if you're you know basic stormtrooper tk421 and uh, you genuinely believe that you're fighting rebel terrorists who are threatening the stability of this new order right you're you're just a soldier on the front lines and lost loved ones to the rebel cause and uh decided to join the military out of personal motivations so the empire is just so huge and again it it controls so much of the information that you know every nameless faceless maybe not stormtrooper but military imperial military asset because stormtroopers are a little more radicalized than other soldiers um but every imperial asset like isn't necessarily um you know a hardened imperialist a lot of them are, are holdovers from the republic era a lot of officers even um and, and again that's not even to say like anything grand moff tarkin yeah <laughs> he is a little different but yes he is a good example uh but there's that admiral wolf uh Yerlin, which was a hero of the clone wars even right yeah. and there are a number of people from that who just transitioned along with everybody else even a lot of the senators and even i don't want to spoil an upcoming episode but uh gilad peleon was also he was a captain in the republic during the the clone wars and then as a leader of the empire he was like way more humane and yes and, like, and that, that's the other thing is less like, of a war like he did fight the republic but he did not necessarily always want to just destroy and get back at them like the ruling council of moffs did right and so that also brings up like how much of the legacy of the empire changed after palpatine right so Pal- palpatine is calling the shots during what the almost 30 year reign which is a small fragment of an over 150 year existence. Yeah. So it's not fair to characterize all of it on one instance. And then one interesting, sorry, just one interesting thing to point out. It is actually kind of realistic when, uh, regimes become, uh, so totalitarian that they almost collapse under their own weight. Like that's, that's almost like a very, that's sort of something that happens even within, like real history you know because uh um and i was just reading a book about the the uh, soviet union and really they only lasted like barely 70 years before they they collapsed under their own weight right and uh like same with you know nazi germany and a lot of uh regimes that go that extreme uh, to try and control the populace to that extreme it's almost like an impossible thing you're almost better to be like a soft dictator like a, like a singapore or something you know who who they're totalitarian and, or authoritarian in some ways but then they give you a lot of other freedoms in other ways but, yeah or a lot of the countries that were toppled in the arab spring they applied so right. much pressure that it actually exploded right right their own civilians rose up against them when they had enough or when they were incited to violence which is exactly what happened with yeah. the empire the empire created its own enemies. right right um some of them were holdovers from before the Clone Wars, but a lot of them were created out of the Empire's oppressive ruling, uh, style of ruling. Um, one final thing about the legitimacy of the Imperial government is it was voted into power. Right, right. Like, all the senators cheered it on. And, yeah. You know, whether or not that represents all citizens, it does represent the elected officials of yeah. those citizens. Yeah. And so it was a legitimate transition into power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the... The existence of the empire itself isn't isn't the the part that's necessarily evil, if you want to use that term. But it's it's what the empire did, did while it with had its existence yes. that's and, evil. And honestly, that that part, like that story of the empire taking control, is actually my favorite part of the prequel trilogy, 
of just following that rise to power and that like um the my favorite line in all of star wars is this is how liberty dies with thunderous applause yeah and it's just that's yeah that's just such an, an interesting fact to bring up is the fact that it was actually voted in you know yeah, yeah they well, did it they did it to themselves yeah yeah totally um like, like me and jordan were talking about they should do an an hbo series about uh, Palpatine's <laughs> yeah. ri- rise to power oh. <laughs> and all of his political yeah. Machiavellian backstabbing. It would be great. Totally. Um, the other thing with about that is there were a lot of legitimate complaints about the Republic and its many, many flaws, uh, even though the Empire was much worse. And that's something we can delve into a little more in maybe a Republic orientated episode i've i've also been toying around with the idea of doing a war crimes <laughs> series oh, series geez. there's certain there's there's enough there's so many there's, there's enough from so many factions in, too. from so many factions yeah but it's weighted heavily on the galactic empire. right exactly so is everyone's hands cleans in this i don't think so no but the empires are the most filthy <laughs> um and a final point is uh more on the some of the positives of the Empire is it was a force of security. Um, it did create a relatively peaceful status quo after the chaos of the Clone Wars in comparison, if it wasn't for those damned rebel uh, terrorists. Uh, and even though, you know, as individuals, if someone is ideologically a fan of liberty, they would be ideologically opposed to the unaccountable and oppressive means by which the Empire ruled. But if security was your ultimate goal and your aim, and it was a professed aim of the Empire, they managed a semblance of it so yeah not all not all bad is what i, I would say not all stormtroopers yes <laughs> <laughs> uh so if we cover imperial racism very briefly yeah we can okay. get into that so about the empire's racism the first thing is it seems a little bit random sometimes there are officers and even stormtroopers i think who are aliens and in those stories there's like really no justification given to it like it's not really even addressed and then in other cases there are just outstanding exceptions like grand admiral thrawn part of the reason he was accepted into the imperial military and he's a chiss an alien with blue skin and red eyes was because um of his relation to something called the chiss ascendancy the emperor the empire he came from and then there's a whole bunch of extra stuff about Zenoma Seacott and the Yuuzhan Vong that Thrawn was tied into, that him being in the Empire was part of another sort of grand plan of, of um, Palpatine's. And then there's Natasi Dalla. Dalla, who was... Um, she was human. She was human, but she was a female. So in terms of the uh, who got sexism. To, yeah. yeah, in terms of the sexism, who got to the rank of Admiral. Typically, females... Could females be stormtroopers? I don't remember. Yeah, there are female yeah. stormtroopers as well. But they couldn't be what officers like lieutenants. So they and could that be. Kind of thing. They could be. The way it's phrased. So this is. It gets kind of murky. Is whether or not it was institutional in the empire, or if they just happen to have a lot of officers above who were part of, say, an old boys club who didn't right. explicitly not want females in, but they they made it hard enough for females to get in that uh, a lot of women actually pro imperial females band together and form their secret society of firebirds to help each other out and fight back against sexism right and point out incompetence and they were actually fairly radicalized imperials so they were pro-imperial 
but they would point out like the flaws in other Imperials and were just as dangerous to like an incompetent right. Imperial commander because they were gonna get stabbed in the back by them. And then they would move in and fill those those voids and things like that. There's a lot more that goes into the story of the Firebirds, which would be good for its own little so, side episode. So but. a final point about Imperial prejudice is I kind of don't think Palpatine, even though you would think he would be the most racist among uh, the Empire because he created it and created all these anti-alien policies. But I think for him, it was purely instrumental because as we discussed, he's he's definitely a a psychopath, if that's the terminology you want to use. He just used humanocentrism and racism as a way to unite all the humans who are the most widely distributed and most populous, therefore most politically powerful and important group to control. It's sort of a utilitarian thing. Exactly. Principle. Yeah. He he really had nothing against... Um, any aliens he cared as little for their lives as he did for human lives yeah yeah they were just a means to an end and hate especially if you're a dark lord of the sith hate anger and fear which i think are emotions that tie very easily into sort of racist feelings are very easy to manipulate through propaganda and that's sort of where the empire's prejudiced practices come from yeah if anything when uh, palpatine was was a senator he was almost anti-racist you know he did of, he portrayed himself as very progressive right and, yeah. yeah and sort of defending the 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 plot of the the plight of the yeah, small yeah. little person yeah, yeah. exactly but yeah absolutely um and that's the other interesting thing is that he utilized an ideology that was already an undercurrent in a lot of core worlds yeah there's already there's a lot of tension with humans and aliens, also the core world and outside the rim world. Right, right. right. That's so a he, whole he utilized dynamic. exactly. Yeah. He utilizes like class as well as like yeah. a weapon. Um, he was able to weaponize any kind of sentiment that right, harbored yeah. uh, hate or yeah. disenfranchisement. Totally. And, and yeah, things that fuel the dark side. So yeah. it's quite interesting. Even though he himself may not really have cared about those little details, he definitely knew how to use them as political tools. So one final interesting. Uh, fan theory i guess that's been floating around as well is that the founding of the empire as a cohesive united and strong militarized uh, authoritarian state uh was actually that palpatine had some kind of idea about the incoming yazongvong invasion uh that appears in the galaxy as an extragalactic threat later on and that he actually founded the empire all these crazy super weapons that he used as much as a, as a tool to control his local population as he was gearing up for a major intergalactic struggle mm. uh, with this invading alien force. Um, it it kind of goes back and forth. A lot of people are, are in favor of it as a uh, almost a justification for the Empire's totalitarian rule and ruthlessness as a way of like getting the galaxy ready for, for taking on a greater right. greater threat and a, and a fight for its own existence. Even. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, an interesting take and adds a little more gray to the black and white dynamic yeah. of the empire. That, that's sort of that's actually kind of a similar uh, fan theory about um, the MCU, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe with with Thanos. A lot of people think that Thanos was actually gearing up for uh, a bigger threat. Um, uh, I believe it was Galactus, who like 
literally just consumes matter. Right. <laughs> and so Thanos was like like calling the galaxy so Galactus couldn't be fueled as much. But it's kind of like a similar idea that he wasn't the evil that everyone thought he was. Right. He, he was actually like... It's a little slice of redemption. Right, right. It was... It, he he actually was like playing 40, 40 chest, yeah. right? And and understood like... It's interesting. It's Those theories are, to me, are interesting and kind of compelling. But, you know... It, does anyone do any Star Wars writers are they willing to verify that theory at this point with legends being legends probably yeah. not so yeah everything's kind of locked in as right. it is but just something fun to think about let us know what you guys think uh, by reaching out to us and anyways on that note uh, we're coming in and landing this ship you are listening to the Star Lords podcast <laughs> Jordan here. Just wanted to let everyone know what's happening here at the Star Lords podcast. Star Lords is now on Discord. If you would like to join the Star Lords Cantina Discord server, you can find a link in the description or on any of our social media accounts. Reach out with a DM or email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the Star Lords podcast. Go ahead and give our page a like and send us a message. You can also email at starlorespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art, Star Wars collections, or fan fictions, and you may even get a feature on one of our pages or even the show. Don't be afraid to offer corrections or add to any of the topics that we discuss on the show. We are also on Patreon, so if you want to help us pay the bills, as well as get a few awesome perks like bonus episodes, access to the private Facebook group, or the VIP section of the Discord server. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash starlores and sign up for as little as one US dollar a month. And finally, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app or YouTube, as well as sending us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us reach a wider audience. Enjoy the rest of the show.